How many of y'all have been here for the last two weeks as we've been in this series? How many of y'all been with us? Wave at me. Don't wave at me. I don't care. I know whether you've been here. I see you every Sunday. Amen. Listen, we've been, over the last two weeks, we started a series called The Big O. And before you, uh, thank you, Pastor Robert, I appreciate that. Uh, Before you get too overwhelmed by that statement, what we've been dealing with is a word called oppression. This is a word that's not typically used in vocabulary. Most people don't walk around and go, I'm oppressed. Because for some reason, we think oppression is a demonic possession. But oppression is not anything demonic. Let me, let me help you with what, do, what oppression is. Oppression is the things that we carry in this life that are weighing us down. Let me prove it to you. The definition of the word oppression is to lie heavily upon, to weigh down, to put down, subdue or suppress, to press upon or against or to crush. How many of you carry weights in this life? If you're a parent, you carry weights. If you're, if you're, a, if you're a provisionary, you're carrying weights. You're trying to provide. If, if, if you're trying to look good, if you're trying to be healthy, if you're trying to lose weight, amen. There, there can be some things that will be oppressive in your life. There are weights that weigh down on you, amen? amen? How many of you understand that God never called you to be oppressed? In fact, God never called you to carry any of those things. God never called you to carry anything other than the cross that he says in his word to daily carry his cross. Why does he say carry the cross? Because the cross defines the breaking rather than the pain. The cross defines deliverance rather than the oppression. But for some reason in our lives, we have a tendency to carry things that are out of our control and we weigh ourselves down with things that we cannot fix. But in the hands of God, God changes everything. So many times we live this life carrying things that we think that we can fix. How many of you have actually fixed them yet? That you didn't need something to come in and bring change into your life so that those things could be fixed. Listen, I've learned over the years, I'm not a great dad. I'm not even a great husband. But with God, baby, I'm great. Why? Because I I, I don't know how to do this. Listen, y'all all all know this if you got kids. Your kids didn't come with manuals. You got it and you went, oh God, what do we do? Okay, God, I need your help. When we got into start parenting and we started to look at our kids and started to do the things that we swore we'd never do that our parents did, and then we realized why our parents did it to us. And we go, oh, light bulb. But we carry these things, whether it's working. Listen, watch, watch, watch. Uh, we go to work and we, we work really hard on our job, not so that we can stay in the same position, so that we can walk in favor and have promotion. Can I get an amen? Why? Because promotion brings what? More money. So we're chasing more money because we think more money is going to solve the problem. No, baby, more God solves the problem. And if you get more God, more money just comes. Because what I've learned over the years is that when I force favor, favor breaks. But when I walk in him, favor just shows up. See, here's the thing that we've got to get to is that we've got to fully allow God to be God and break the spirit of oppression. God never called you to carry that stuff. Put it down. Most of us in this room call oppression life. Well, that's just life. Y'all ever said that? Oh, that's just, when things go wrong, oh, that's just life. Oh, that's just life. That is a lie. The Bible says that in him I have life. And life what? More abundantly. 
means greater than what I could even imagine. In him, I have great life, amazing life. So if my life is not portraying that or demonstrating that, then I need to find out the things that are weighing me down that I'm not supposed to be carrying that are keeping me from walking in long life. How many of you want long life? That was seven of y'all that raised your hand right now. I would be lifting both feet and both hands, jumping up and down. This is a guy that's been in the hospital too many times because of his heart. How many of you want long life? You better be excited about it. And if you're not doing it for you, at least do it for your children. How many of you want long life? Then today you got to walk away from oppression. Let me help with something. I can't fix my marriage. God can. I can't fix my kids. God can. I can't fix this church. God can. I can't pay all these bills, but God can. See, this is the part that you have to get to. So when things don't work the way you want them to do, hey, God, I'm yours. You're mine. I trust you. I'm, I'm reliant upon you. God, you promised me through every trial and tribulation there would always be a way of escape. Hey, God, I'm ready for you to show up when you're ready. God, I'm ready for you to move because I trust, I rely upon him. I am not walking in the spirit of oppression. Oppression is not something people put on you. It's the things you choose to carry in this life. And when we're oppressed, it's because we have stopped allowing God to have complete control. And we've started to take on this life instead of allowing him to lead it. Let me help you with something. When you want to break oppression, you stop being a control freak. If you have a problem with being a control freak, then I can probably guarantee that you have oppressive things that are weighing you down and you can't seem to walk in the fullness of life God has for you. Let go and let God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says it this way. I love the scripture. It says it in the New Living Translation, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Can I ask you a question? Why does the church typically live in the first part of every one of those statements, but does not declare the second part? Think about it. When you go up to people, man, how are you? This is what we hear. I'm pressed on every side by troubles. I'm perplexed. I'm hunted down. I'm knocked down. Can I just be honest with you? I have a hard time talking to believers that believe, truly believe in God and listen to that junk come out of their mouths. Because what I realize is they have not fully come out of the space where God delivers them. They're still stuck in bondage. When people go, oh, I passed I say, hey, how are you doing? Oh, you know, the, the, the devil's attacking. Did you read your word? The word says the battle's not yours, it's the Lord's. And the only reason you would tell me the devil's attacking is because you keep trying to fight God's battles. Let go. Wave the white flag and call him in. It's okay. He'll take care of it. Let him win. Let him fight for you. But for some reason, people have a tendency to always complain what God's trying to deliver them from. Pastor, I'm struggling this year. I'm struggling. Have you given it to the Lord? No. Well, why not? Well, you know, well, we're going to find out about it today. I don't want you to just hear that scripture. I want you to start believing it. And it's time that we break this spirit that hangs over us and keeps us from walking in the fullness that he has for us. So I have to ask you with expectation in your heart, are you ready to break this off your life? Can I ask you while you're in this room, how many of you have things that now you realize are oppressing you? They're weights. Okay, there's seven of you. Y'all don't lie in church. My God, let me try this again. How many of you in this room have things, people situations, circumstances, jobs, finances, health that weigh you down. Yeah. 
You want to be free? Good, we're going to find out right now. Over these last two weeks, we've been in a story in the book of Zephaniah. In the book of Zephaniah, in chapter 1, Zephaniah declares judgment of God over the people of Judah because of idolatry. I'm going to tell you this right now. Idolatry is killing the world. Idolatry is defined as excessive or blind adoration. Excessive or blind adoration, reverence or devotion to. It is amazing when people tell me I am a believer, but yet they're devoted to what everyone else is doing rather than what God wants to do in them. I am devoted to what everybody posts on social media. I'm devoted to whether people like what I post. I'm devoted to whether people smile at me. I'm devoted to this, but I'm not devoted to God. You are blinded to the things of God and you are focused on the things of this world. How can you ever be free? Until you focus on him. These people, the people of Judah were, were are in, in a massive space of idolatry. And he, he casts judgment on them. But here's the crazy part. In chapter 2, he gives a call of repentance. He allows them to bring change into their lives. He gives them the option to stop talking a big game and start fulfilling a full life in Christ. Why do you think we do altar calls all the time? Because that's the heart of the Father, to give you an opportunity to get your life right with him so that you can walk out of this place changed. Let me help you with something. My words, my preaching will not change you. Woo. Well, why are we here? I was hoping you came looking for God this morning. I was hoping you came to hear from him, not hear from me. My words will never change you, but his word will. And you've got to let it take a root on the inside of you so that it can break these things off of your life. But in verse 3, he says, his, he says this powerful statement as to why this, the people of Judah are oppressed. He says this speaking to the people of Judah. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. And she has not drawn near to God, near to her God. Let, let, let me say this to you. The reason I, I, I found this scripture was because one day I was in here in prayer and God led me to the scripture and started to show me that there were things in my life that were oppressing me. And he said, and here's the reasons why. Here are the four reasons why you walk under oppression. Here's the four reasons why you carry weights that are not meant for you to carry. Here are the four things that you need to change in your life. Let me help with something. God never lets me preach anything. He won't make me walk through first. And so God began to deal with me. And some of these I'm good at, but not all of them. And until I start working at getting good at all of them, nothing's going to change in my life. I'll keep picking up things I was never meant to carry. So two weeks ago, we started dealing with these four statements as a step-by-step -step process to breaking the spirit of oppression, to begin stripping off the weights and living a full life in Christ. The first step to breaking oppression was to walk in obedience, to walk in obedience. How many of y'all know obedience is a bad word? Come on, work with me. You used to be kids one time. You didn't like it when your parents told you to be obedient. You probably don't like it as an adult today when they tell you to be obedient. You need to be obedient. But let me help you with something. Obedience brings blessings. I, I teach that to my kids all the time. I say it constantly. Obedience brings blessings. Why? Because when you walk out of obedience, I don't have to tell you. You just do it. That's what obedience is. Obedience isn't reacting because I ask you. Obedience is doing it because you already know. Hello? Some of y'all parents get mad at your kids. I ask my kids all the time to clean up because you haven't taught them what obedience is. They know they need to clean their room. They live in it. Hello? But when they start doing it without you asking, that's obedience. And the blessings come when obedience is walked in. When we're walking in obedience with God, and I mean complete obedience to the word. Let me say this as a sidebar. Do not be obedient to the first two chapters and not the others. 
I know it's a hard one to swallow. Well, I really got to be obedient to the full book. Then why do you have the book if you're not going to? You might as well rip out every part that you don't like. But here's the point. If I rip out one page out of this Bible, it is no longer a Bible. Did you know that? If I rip one sheet out of this book, it is no longer a Bible. It is a book of opinions. Because if I can tear the word of God from the word of God, then it becomes what I want it to be rather than a divinely anointed, handwritten book by people who were spoken to by the Holy Spirit so that we would have a guideline to live our lives by. Pastor, no, it's still the Bible. How can you have the full Bible and have one word missing from it? The first step was to walk in obedience. When we walk in obedience, it is demonstrating whether or not we really believe God or believe in him. God laid out a plan and said, this is the way, do it. Be obedient in it. Why? Because he knows the plans he has for you. How many of you have ever quoted that scripture? Father, I know Jeremiah 29, 11, and you know the plans you have for me, says the Lord, plans to prosper me. You, y'all have all heard that scripture, right? And in moments of your life, you've claimed it, right? Understand this, that you can't walk in the plan until obedience is walked in first. You have to live in obedience to God. I watched a thing on the video on, on YouTube the other day where people were talking about, well, you don't have to be obedient to God. That's, that's old church. Are you stupid? I'm just going to tell you how I felt about it when I read it. I, when I saw the video, I'm like, you, you don't have to be obedient to God. You just have to love God. Okay. If you love God, you'll obey him. Obedience is a sign of love, but it's not a sign of just respect. It's a sign of love. When my kids are disobedient, they're, they're, what they're telling me is I'm having a hard time operating in love. So I'm going to go against what you've asked to do what I want. This is unpopular teaching because every parent wants to be their kid's best friend now. Nobody wants to be a parent anymore. Everybody wants to be buddies. They're my best friend. Can I just say this to you as a sidebar? You were never built to be your children's best friend. You were built to be a steward of their lives while they exist. God gave you the responsibility to steward them, not befriend them. Raise a child in the way they should go, and when they get older, they won't depart from it. Didn't say friend them. You got to lead and guide them. You got to walk them into the things of God. Uh, It's time that we walk in obedience. Let me read the scripture to you real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 28. It says this in verse 1 through 6 If you fully obey the Lord, what does he say that? Fully? Not partially, right? Fully, right? He did say fully. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you where? Will set you where? High above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings. Watch, if you obey. Now we understand he said fully, and then he says, if you obey the Lord your God, here comes the blessings. Y'all want the blessings? He said obey first, didn't he? He didn't say, here's the blessings, now obey. He says, obey fully, here comes the blessings. And these are blessings I want. Your towns, your fields will be blessed. Hello. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Whether, wherever you go and whatever you do will be blessed. Out of what? Obedience. God, I choose to be obedient. In order to break oppression, we must first walk in obedience to God. Obey his word in our lives. Stop making excuses for disobedience. Stop trying to rewrite or reinterpret scripture to fit our own selfish gains. And love God through our obedience according to his word. And we started dealing with the second step. The second step was to receive correction. Pastor, it gets gets worse. Every time you go another one down, obedience was one thing, but now I got to be corrected too. Yep. 
Obedience says you've accepted his plan for your life. Correction says you want to stay in his plan for your life. Receive that one for just a second. Obedience says you've accepted his plan for your life. Correction says you want to stay in his plan for your life. But who likes correction? I, I, I said this last week. I'll say it again. I was working on the car one time, and I was changing the alternator in the truck. I'm not completely off my rocker. I do know how to do some things when it comes to a car. And, and my wife walks out because her daddy's a Ford master mechanic and walks out and goes, do I need to call my dad? Do you need help? Now, let me be honest with you. My flesh rose up. I got a little bit upset. And I went, are you kidding me right now? I've taken the alternator out. It's sitting on the top. I'm about to take it to the store. And you walked out and want to know if I need. Well, I'm just saying you might not know what you're doing. <laughs> Eyes went this big. Heart palpitation started. I'm like, go inside, please. Just go inside. Go inside, please, babe. Go inside. What? I wasn't trying to upset you. I was just saying. I was just saying. Here was the problem. She didn't do anything wrong. What she was actually trying to do was to make sure that I was okay. But because I didn't want to receive it, I got mad. Because I thought she was challenging my ability as a man. Oh, she's coming against me. She doesn't believe in me. That's not what she said. But because I don't like correction, like, like most of us, I received it the wrong way. And so I got frustrated by it. I thought it was something else rather than what it was in its true form. Listen, the reason we don't like correction is because the, is because the problem is we tend to view correction as failure. When someone corrects us, we immediately begin to think that we messed up. If someone comes in and tells us to do it a different way or to correct what we're doing, we automatically assume that we failed at the process and no one likes failure. So we respond with a failure heart rather than a corrected one. If God corrects us, we have a tendency to believe that we have failed him. Rather than that he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to fail. When God comes and corrects you, bro, you better lift your hands up and receive it. Because God doesn't want you off the path. He is nudging you back in. Come on, Brian. Come on. Don't, don't go that way. You, you know what I'm talking about. You get ready to make a decision and you hear that thing in the back of your head that says, don't do this. And you're like, but I want to do it so bad. And God's going, please don't do it. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you saying, don't, this is not the way of the Lord. Don't walk in it. Like when you're driving through McDonald's and God's going, it's going to kill you. And you're like, but it tastes so good. <laughs> when you're driving through Popeye's, whatever it is you like, Amen. Whatever that is, like for my wife during Mardi Gras season, it's king cakes. A lot and a lot of king cakes. We got to go all over Louisiana to find the next king cake. We got to have them. And then she's photoing them and sending them to everybody. Look what I got. It's like screaming to the world, I like to be fat. <laughs> and then after she's, I can say this because she's not in the room. After, after she's done eating all the king cakes, she's like, I got to go on a diet. Do you know if you would have eaten the king cakes, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Can I get an amen from somebody? Sometimes we just got to let God direct us. Let God lead us. How many times in worship have you felt the unction for God? God's telling you, go deeper, worship harder, go further. Because God wants to take you further. No, God, it's going to make me weird. Listen, just let go and let God. Let him correct you. Let him bring correction into your life. Correction is never easy. But the word says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. He punishes each one he accepts as his child. No, tell me he loves me. Punishment isn't love. Punishment is love. 
punish. Hmm. See, we go punishment. Oh, it hurts. It's so much pain. He just wants to beat me down. No, that's not what he's trying to do. It's how you receive it. It's how you receive it. It's like, it's like my son does something wrong and I ground him or my daughter does something wrong and I take something from her. Or like last night, I told my two little ones, stop wrestling in the bed. And then one of them hit the head up against the wall. Ah! I didn't walk in with love. I'm going to be honest with you. I walked in the room and said, what I tell you? I told you to stop, didn't you? Ah! You're not going to die. You're not bleeding. The world's going to keep on going. Suck it up, buttercup. Let's roll. Ah! My, love, my daughter comes in three minutes later into my room. <laughs> like, what are you crying about? <laughs> I said, what, what's she upset about? You yelled at me. <laughs> Why'd I yell at you? Because you yelled at me. <laughs> no, why did I yell at you? Because I was jumping on the bed and Asher hurt his head. So you knew it was coming. You should not be surprised by this moment. I just want to hug mama. <laughs> there she is. Have at it. The Lord disciplines the ones he loves. He punishes each one he accepts as his child. It was funny. After she hugged her mom, and she's like, okay, I'm going back to my bed. <sighs> as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. As what? As what? So when God corrects you, he's treating you as, listen, if God's not correcting you, you're probably not his. Mm, that one was tough to swallow. Whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you are illegitimate. I'm, I'm just reading scripture. Oh, and by the way, this is New Testament, just in case you were wondering. This isn't law. This is under grace. Oh, is that, that totally debunks all that hyper-grace foolishness. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live when? Forever? If you could put that scripture up for me. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us. So that we might share in his holiness. Share in his what? Holiness. Not share in his, in his, oh, what put in my hand? His holiness, the fullness of his power and his might. Share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable. Look, the word even says, listen, I get it. You don't like it. No discipline is enjoyable when it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Anything out of so far? Good. Now we can go to step three. We haven't got step three. No, we're about to go there right now. So we, we dealt with Zephaniah chapter three, verse two. It says she's not obeyed his voice. She's not received correction. And then we get into the next space where it says she has not trusted the Lord. Let me give you step three. Trust God. Walk in obedience, receive correction and trust God. Let me give you the definition of the word trust real fast. To rely upon or place confidence in someone or something. Let me, let me read that again. To rely upon or place confidence in someone or something. How many of you in this room have ever been disappointed by somebody? I mean, I'm like this. Hello. How many of you have been disappointed by people? How many have been disappointed by a loved one? Okay. How many of you have lost trust in people 
whether they did something wrong to you or even lied to you. Okay? Here's what I've started to notice over, over the last few years. Our lack of trust in people has become a lack of trust in God. Because for some reason, we equate God to man. Rather than God created man, we equate God, we equate God on the same level playing field. We put him on the same ground. Well, if man, if man disappointed me, if man failed me, if man hurt me and they broke my trust, then God will do the same thing. How could a God who's so great create such a horrible person? I don't know. Have you looked in the mirror lately? Because let me help you with something. You used to be horrible too. You didn't come out in the womb singing Jesus songs. The Bible says you were born into this world in what? Sin. You had to repent. You had to give your life to God. You weren't perfect when you came out of the womb. No, what? no Nobody is. But, but we, what now we do is we go, God, how could you do this? This is a statement that I hear all the time. Well, if God was so great, how could he let this happen? Have you ever read your Bible? Have you ever read the things that God allowed to happen? Do you want to know why he allowed them? Because he gave people the opportunity to change. The Bible says his grace is sufficient. He has grace to allow you to try to come back to change your life. That's why he kept giving them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for change. He did the same thing for you. Aren't you glad that he didn't go, oh, okay, I'm done. They didn't show up. I gave them one chance. They didn't come, so I'm done. No, he kept giving us opportunities. We've been, we've been hurt by people. We've been hurt by man. But why is it that we tend to parallel or to put on the same level playing field God and man? Because we've allowed trust to break everything in us. And we carry that oppression. My wife told me when we first started dating, she, she was very open with me. She's, I got trust issues. People have hurt me in my past. And I said, okay, what does that have to do with me? She said, but you just can't just start trusting. I said, yes, you can because unless I give you a reason to break that trust, then you need to trust. If I have to pay the price for what everybody else did to you, then I'm no better than the ones who hurt you. And so I said, I need you to give me an opportunity. And let me help you with this. I'm going to say this, and I probably shouldn't say this, but in the first three years of my marriage, I broke my wife's trust. Oh, Pastor, you're going to hell. No, I'm not. I have grace, and I went to the Father and repented, and then I went to my wife and repented, and I've never done it since. I didn't lie to her about something crazy. I hid something from her because I was afraid of failing her. I hid a financial condition of our family. I was running the finances, and I, we were under because of the church. We were trying to pay all the bills, and nothing was coming in, and we were trying to make things float, and I didn't want her to freak out, so I was hiding it on the backside until God revealed it to her, and then she came and asked me, and I was like, oh, the gig is up. And then she had a hard time trusting, and then I realized God, I need you to change this in me because I was afraid of failing because as a kid, I was always afraid of failing and it went on to my adult life and I began to do it in my adult life and I said, God, you got to break this spirit of failure off of me. You got to break this fear of hurting people. You got to break this fear of me not being, an a being adequate enough for my family. God, help me to become better. God, correct this. Don't correct that. I didn't say, oh God, it was because my daddy didn't do me right. That's why I am the way I am. Guess what? My dad didn't do me right. Doesn't mean I stopped trusting God. Listen, people are flawed. They make mistakes or even do things intentionally. But watch what the word of God says in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe that? Well, I want to believe it. If the word says it, that settles it. Just believe it. 
How many of you in this room believe God, believe in God? Okay, do you understand that you cannot believe in God and not believe the Word? For He is the Word. In the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. If you cannot, if you say you believe God or believe in God, then you have to believe the Word. If there is anything in here you do not believe, then let me say this to you. You do not believe in God. You believe in yourself and you just want the good stuff out of it. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them for the Lord your God. He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Numbers 23, verse 19. I know it's a lot. That's all right. Get deep. Watch the video later because you can go back and write it down. God is not a man that he should lie. Watch what he says. No, you, you missed this because what you interpreted that was God won't lie. You didn't read it. God is not a man. Put that scripture up for me, please. I don't know what y'all, what's going on today. God is not a man that he should lie. Numbers chapter 23. God is not a man that he should lie. See, this is the thing. God is not a man. Stop making God a man. Stop getting mad when man does something to you and then blaming God for what man did. Man's, gonna, man's flawed. Man's going to fail. But God never will. Nor a son of man. So not only is he not a man, but he's not even a son of man. That he should repent. God didn't have to repent. He didn't have to apologize. He should apologize for what he put me through. Or he put you through it. Or did you willingly walk into it? And then get mad at him because you got stuck in it. No, God doesn't have to. God doesn't owe you an apology. If anything, we owe him a lot of apologies. God is not a son of man that he should repent. Nor has he said Oh, I'm sorry. He, has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? What he's saying is, is if God said it, will you please just accept it? Amen. Will you just trust him already? Stop comparing him to the world. He is not worldly. He is a God that sits on the throne in the heavens. The Bible says the earth is his footstool. He is not in the world. He created the world. Pastor, if he created the world, then why is it so messed up? Because of us. It's not him. It's us. We choose whether we gossip about people. We choose whether we point people out. We choose what we say in the privacy of our own homes, thinking that God doesn't hear. We choose to do things that are wrong. We choose to go against his commandments. We choose to blaspheme his name. We choose to grieve the Holy Spirit. And then we go, God, where have you gone? Not where has God gone? Where have you gone? Where is the, the, God's not here because you're not here. Trust problems only come when we have word problems. What you mean, pastor? I don't mean like a word problem. I mean like we don't have a word. We have a word problem. See, when we, when we lack trust in the things of God, it's because we have not gravitated to the word that changes us that molds us and makes us, that breaks the strongholds in us so that life can be changed in us, what we do is we gravitate to opinions. Let me, let me say this to you. I said it in the beginning. I'll say it again. My preaching, what I'm saying, will not change you. Watch. If anything I've said so far has kicked something inside of you, that wasn't because the words that I said were good. That's because the Holy Spirit is attached to the Word. And when it hits you, He drives a hole in your heart so that the seed can go down in there and bring forth fruit. 
nothing I can say from that. There is no great preaching that will change you. It is the word from God that changes you. Stop waiting for my preaching to change you. Stop waiting for a preacher on TV to change you. Well, I listen to all these people. Man, let me tell you something. First of all, you can't eat that much. You need to swallow the first word you heard, not try to just keep gorging out at the buffet line. Let the word settle on the inside of him. Let him bring change in your life. We have to start trusting God. But the problem is, is that we hope more than we trust. Well, let, me, let me break what I mean down for you real fast. There's nothing wrong with hope. Our hope is in what? God. There's nothing wrong with hope, but we're not meant to live in hope. Hope is the thing you have when you're outside. But the moment you come inside, then faith and trust take over. Hope is the declaration that you have when nothing is changing. But when God steps in, then hope is no longer needed. Now there is faith because God has moved. Let me prove it to you. Psalms 33, 20 says this. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Hope, then my declaration of faith. Hope is the precursor to launch you to a greater level of faith and a greater level of trust. Let me help you with something. Where hope used to be a word that led us into confident declaration, it has now become a declaration of things that might not come to pass. It's like this. I hope they come. I hope service is good today. I hope church is good today. I hope the worship's good today. I hope the AC is where I like it. I hope it's not raining today. That's the only reason we say hope is because we have a fear that it might not happen. That's where you were when you were in the world. You saw the world and you knew something had to change, so you hoped for a better day. But when the better day comes, what becomes your declaration then? Are we still going back outside going, I hope it changes? No, my trust is in the Lord. My faith is in the Lord. I am no longer hoping for things. I am believing in things. I am declaring by faith in things. We hope because deep down we don't trust. I hope so-and-so does this. I hope so-and-so does that. Hope has become a barren wasteland full of disappointments. Yes, I put my hope in God. And it's my hope that creates the trust that God will do exactly what he said he would do. There are moments when I don't see it. God, I put my hope in you while I'm in the hospital. And then when the doctor walks in and goes, I got an answer. Now my faith is elevated. And I walk out that hospital going, I got a plan. And God's not done with me yet. And I'm going to live a long life. And I go and go to my kids. And I hug them. And I say, baby's daddy's not going nowhere. Because I'm going to live a long life. Because God has spoken... I'm not, I had a hope when, when I had a hope when I was in the hospital, my heart was racing. I had faith when God showed up. Hope led me to trust even deeper. Yes, I put my hope in God. And when the weight of oppression gets too heavy, we have a tendency to stop trusting and start just hoping. We revert back to who we used to be in the beginning rather than continue to grow in our faith and trust him. Let me say this to you real quick. The reason Judah was getting judgment from God is because they once trusted God with everything they had and then they stopped. They started to worship everything else rather than the one that created them. And then they started to walk under oppression. And if you read the top of that verse, it says to the oppressing city. And I said this last week, and I'll say it again. If you stay under oppression too long, you'll start oppressing other people. You'll start becoming a weight that everyone else has to carry. And let me help you with something. If you become a weight that everyone has to carry, no one will hang out with you. 
And you will go, I'm so alone. I'm not alone. You want to know why? Because I'm not a weight to people. Because I put my weights before God. I cast my cares before the Lord. I bring my burdens to the Father. I don't bring them to you. Why? You can't solve them. You're not God. I trust in him and I lean on him. Let me hit you this verse real quick. Proverbs chapter 3. Get anything out of this yet? Good. Proverbs chapter 3. It says this. Ready? Ready? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Stop. Just stop right there. Can I clarify? Trust in the Lord with all your life. Okay. Uh, Pastor Dylan, come here for a second. It's not going to be weird, I promise. I know you're expecting it, but it's not going to be. Stand right here. Stand right here. Okay. You trust him with the plant. You trust him with the future. Do you trust him with that hair? Oh, I pulled it out. I'm not going to lie. It's got a good root on it, too. You trust him with that hair? Do you understand the Bible says that he planted every hair on your head? So what I'm saying is that every intricate detail of your existence down to the follicles mm-hmm. of hair on your body, he was part of creating. Mm-hmm. You want it back? Yeah. Let me put it back. No, thanks. Sorry, okay. <laughs> Do you trust him with that hair? Or if it starts to fall out, you go, oh, my God, I'm going bald. Already happened. Okay, amen. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is what happens. We trust him with the future, right? We trust him because we want an expected end. Yeah. We want the Jeremiah 29 11 blessing. But do you trust him with every detail of your existence? Do you trust him with your eyes? Do you trust him with your heart? Now, I'm not talking about your emotional, spiritual heart. I'm talking about your physical heart. Do you trust him with the blood in your system? Do you trust him with your mouth, your nose, your ears? Do you trust him or do you tell him what to do with them? God, I trust you with my... No, you trust him with what you want to be your future. But do we really trust him with our whole heart all of our life because the bible says out of the heart flow the issues of life Mm -hmm. so if we're not trusting him with all of our life then we're not trusting him you cannot trust somebody partially and call it trust trust is either all or nothing if i if my wife comes with baby i trust you and then i do so because i don't trust you you don't trust me well i do trust you no you don't you just said you don't trust me it's a weird conversation that happened between husbands and wives sometimes uh, but I do trust you. No, but you just said you didn't trust me. Well, do you know what I meant? No, because if you don't trust me in this area, you won't trust me in other areas. And I need, we got to walk in full trust. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then he goes on and says, and lean not to what? In other words, your thoughts don't work. Lean not unto what you think you know, but lean on to what he already knows. The best way I can show you this is to live your life like this. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I just want to, I want to have my moments. No. Your moments are what get you in trouble. Your moments are what cause oppression. Get in your word. Now, please don't understand. I'm not saying you can't live a life and you got to be so super holy that you can't have an existence. No. Get in your word and let the word become life to you. Let it bring fruit into, let it bear fruit. Lean not on your own thoughts. Lean on his words. When was the last time your word created anything? But I got a book full of words that created everything. 
Why would I not lean on this thing? Okay. And it says, in all your ways, do what? Even when it's not good? Even when it doesn't work out on my behalf? Even when I don't get what I want? Even when people don't treat me the way I want to be treated? Even when somebody didn't smile at me and say hi to me this morning? In all your ways, why does he say that? In all your ways, acknowledge him. Because the only way you press forward is if you keep him in your viewpoint. The acknowledgement says that he's in front of you. The acknowledgement says that you're focused on him. The lack of acknowledging him says that you're off on another path. And when you get too far, you're going to go, God, save me. You know what God's going to tell you? Start walking back. See, here's the funny thing. We think that when we scream out to God, God just runs over, picks us up, puts us back on the path. Uh Uh-uh. It's called a life lesson. However far you walk away, you're going to have to walk back. Now, he'll walk back with you, but he's going to make you feel that pain of walking back so that you understand you never want to go there again. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Watch. And he. And he what? And he shall what? And he shall what? So in other words, I can't move forward until I acknowledge him. Or I won't be on the right path until I acknowledge him. This is part of our trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all of your life. Lean not on your own thoughts, but his words. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In other words, bring him into everything. Everything. If he can't come in, don't do it. If wherever you're going, he can't sit in the room, you probably shouldn't be in the room. Somebody asked one time, Pastor, you, you really mean that? Absolutely. If I go sit in a movie and it gets to a point that I shouldn't be in that room, I don't mind walking right up to the counter and go, I need a refund. Well, well, sir, what's wrong? What happened? Well, I sat in that movie and that was not what I paid for. I'm not, I'm not going to sit in that. I will not sit in a room and grieve the Holy Spirit to benefit my flesh. Pastor, stop being so holy. I'm not being holy. I'm trying to walk in righteousness. I don't want things to get in that's going to taint my walk with God. I'm not going to listen to a movie that's cussing all the time and then go home and use those words in front of my children and then wonder why my children, as they get older, have cursing problems. He's trying to help. But for some reason, we think, well, we're grown. We can do it, but they can't. Okay, next time you punish your children for doing what you do, don't get mad when they repeat what you do. Just find out that they won't do it in your present company. They'll do it behind your back. Mm. blankety blank then you find out your kid got suspended for cussing the teacher out where did you learn that language i wish to god most kids would be like you trust in the lord with all your heart lean not on your understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path let me give you one more and then i'm closing and sending you home romans chapter 15 verse 13 it says this you ready i pray that god the source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you what? Because you what? Oh, so I'm, I'm a real stickler on words. So when I read that, this is what it says to me. The source of hope will fill me completely with joy and peace. How many of y'all want joy and peace? All the time I want joy and peace. Come on, Jesus, I want joy and peace. But it's only going to happen when what? So if you lack joy and peace, you probably don't have trust. You're not trusting him yet. But when I trust him, I'm not worried. I'm not worried any longer. Let me share a story. I shared this in, in Growth Track uh, yesterday. I, I feel like it kind of works in this moment. Uh, I would probably say it's been about three years. 
maybe a little bit longer, maybe I think about three years ago, the church was in a bad way. Some of y'all were here during that season, and we got towards the end of the year, and we were $17,000 in the hole. My wife and I had emptied our bank accounts. We had nothing. Every time we wanted to go do something, we ended up giving everything that we had to the church to keep the church afloat. And I remember one night I was just, I didn't know what else to do. And, and I, I said, baby, I'm calling Pastor Glenn, my pastor. I said, I, I don't know what to do. Maybe he can help. And, and honestly, as a son and as him as my spiritual father, I called him because I thought, you know, he loves me. He's going to help me. He's going to bail me out. And I got on the phone and I said, Pastor, I, I don't know what to do. And he goes, well, first of all, have you prayed? I said, duh. Pastor, of course I prayed. And he goes, have you told the church? No. Why would you tell the church that? You don't want them to think this thing isn't working. Pastor, I can't tell the church that we're hurting financially. It's going to make it look like I'm not working the finances. Or that I'm mishandling or misappropriating or not doing what I'm supposed to do. Pastor, I can't say go tell them. Pastor, and I went to my wife and I said, Pastor told me I got to tell the church. I don't know. So weeks, like two weeks later, I called a house family meeting and I invited the whole church and I said, you know what, I'm just going to expose everything. Here's the money. Here's what we pay every month. Here's the bills. Here's what's been coming in. And as I showed the month's history, they started to see the decline in giving in the church. And I explained to them, I said, my wife and I have been carrying the church and we've been trying to keep this thing afloat, but I can't do it anymore. And I said, I'm just telling you because I'm being obedient to what my pastors instructed me to do, but I have to trust that God owns this house and I don't. So I'm laying this before you and I'm going to go home and find rest. I literally, there was a stool sitting right here and I walked over there. By the time I left that night, over $17,000 was sitting on that stool and all the debt was paid. And here's what I learned. Here's what I learned that night. It wasn't my trust in man. It was my trust in God. That even though I might have felt like a failure, even though I knew that I could be looked at really weird in that moment, God, you're bigger than all of this, and I'm going to trust you through it. In the last three years, we have never, and I mean this not one time, have we gone in the negative in this house. In fact, we've been on the plus since then. And let me tell you something. What else I started doing was I used to be so consumed. You go, Pastor, you're supposed to have faith. Look, it's a process. I'm working at it, man. Even though I'm the pastor, there's places in my life that get checked real quick. And so I would go to the back and I'd start counting all the money because i got to make sure we got enough money to pay all the bills. And, I'm, and I, now I just, God's good. And I go home and sleep. For the first, oh, Darius could tell you. I, we, we used to stress out back in the day, didn't we? <laughs> Darius used to come to the house when we were still, when we were still doing, like, move in and move outs. And he'd come and help count the, the tithe and offering. And bro, while we're counting, I'm praying. Father, let there be enough. Father, let there be enough. Father, let there be enough. Oh, thank you, Jesus. There's enough. Now there's more than enough. Why? Not because you're great at giving, because I trust God. And when I trust God, he moves on the hearts of men and women. My brother told me this years ago, he goes, I don't get it how you do this. He goes, your entire existence is based on the obedience of people. My entire life is based on whether or not you choose to grab a hold of the word of God and live obediently. Amen. You look at how, what do you mean? I love when people ask my wife this. What does your husband do for a living? I don't know. Sit around and twiddle my thumbs and wait for a phone call. I work. 
Ask my kids, they'll tell you. This is work. Why? Because I know what God called me to do. Do you trust him? Because if you trust him, the weights will leave today. I, I cannot tell you how excited I am because the doctors told me they want to do an ablation on my heart because they want to fix what's wrong with my heart. You, you go, but pastor, that's surgery. That's not a healing. Are you crazy? Do you understand how ex- Do you understand how excited I am to know that I get to live long and watch my babies grow up? Not because of anything other than God, when I laid in that hospital bed, I hoped. And then you brought a word. And my faith rose. This is what I said in that bed. God, I will not die in this. But I will live a long life. Because your word promises me that in you I will have a long life. It wasn't 20 minutes later that the doctor walked in with a complete plan. After three years, every time I went to the hospital, the doctor said, we don't know what's wrong, go home. It took three days for Jesus to come out the grave. It took me three times to get an answer. I'm on time, baby. Because I trust him. When my heart wasn't acting right, I kept trusting him. God, you're not done with me yet. You're not done. Stop being under the weights of the world. And just rest in the fact that he is God. And if you trust him, you will be free and have joy and have peace and walk in the power of his Holy Spirit. It's time we break the spirit of oppression. Next week, I'll give you the last step. Step four. Everybody stand to your feet.